Mark chapter 6, we will be reading verses 45 through 56. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at, to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, And as many as touched it were made well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our world, we find various expressions of unbelief. I have uh, two extreme examples for you this morning. Uh, There are those who are atheists, who are materialists, who only believe in a material reality, that which we have here, denying the reality of a spiritual realm altogether, denying the reality of things unseen. They call it superstition. In fact, a conservative talk show host recently denied the existence of the devil, which led to a denial of the existence of of God. He said that, and I'm just paraphrasing, that God was made up uh, to make people feel better about all of the trouble in the world and in their individual lives. God is only a source of comfort for the weak and less confident people of the world. And what these people really need is self-esteem or self-confidence. That is the arrogance of the unbelieving world. And this arrogance and denial of God always comes to a screeching halt at a time of despair. And people always begin to wonder, what does this world and what does my life reveal to me? Not only is it arrogance, but it is also ignorance. God is not only here to comfort the weak, but he also demands the worship and faith of his creatures. And there is another expression of unbelief. 
And that is found in those who believe in the reality of the spiritual realm, but not the truth of it. They delve into the wrong teachings of spirituality. They study it and want to practice it. They are very spiritual and they even believe in miracles. They are involved in all types of spirituality except of course those things in regard to the spirit of God revealed in the Holy Scriptures. You can say they are involved in the dark arts or magic like the David Blaines of the world. They are involved in witchcraft, which is forbidden, and they are seeking to know the mysteries that are only known to God. They are not satisfied with knowing what God has revealed and how God has revealed it. They are playing with fire and in a dangerous place. And what I have just described is the majority of spiritual, quote-unquote, people we know in this world. Now these two expressions of unbelief exist in all of us. There are doubts and unbelief at times, maybe because something traumatic has happened in our lives. And there is always this superstitious curiosity of the unseen. Yet we do not want to hear the truth of God as He revealed it. It is the result of a hardened heart against the truth of God. We just cannot accept what He has already revealed to us. And that is a shame. Because we would be missing out on the sweet words He has to say to us. And the sweet mercy that He has to show us. And this is what we see in our passage this morning. We have come to a pivotal point in Mark where he is first setting Jesus apart as he is revealing himself to his disciples. And what we see is that Jesus stands alone in his own category, apart from the rest of the world. He is other than everything else created. He is set apart as Lord over all creation and nature. And this becomes a great advantage for the believer. And secondly, to answer the atheist from the first example of unbelief. Yes, God is our help in our time of need. He is our refuge. He is our comfort in the midst of Of a troubled world. In fact all humans. Are needy. And dependent creatures. And the reason this. Atheist. Has the breath and the strength. To deny the existence of God. Is because of God. Imagine that. God. Gave the atheist. Breath. And energy. To speak against him. He is set apart as Lord. He is our refuge. He is our comfort in this world. And Jesus physically, in time, revealed God through his miracles and sought to comfort his people. But because of sin, we harden ourselves against the truth of who he is. 
Well, the good news is that Jesus casts out fear because he is the Savior and the refuge of sinners. And thirdly, Jesus is the only one who can make us whole again as he does respond to the needs of his people. So first, let us see how he is set apart. When I say that he is set apart, I mean he is sanctified. He is holy other than anything created. He is holy. He carries the glory of the Lord with him. And here he begins to manifest that glory. He has been slowly revealing himself to his disciples at this point. He, he began with his authority and teaching. And he continues to express that authority when he immediately puts a stop to the feast that they were having with the 5,000. This is when he fed the 5,000 miraculously, creating bread and fish out of nothing. But he quickly dismisses them. You, you see, he didn't want the popularity that he was receiving. Judging by the context of the other uh, gospel accounts, the crowd was most likely made up of militants who wanted to make him a worldly leader or ruler, not understanding what he came to do. So he makes his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Uh, Bethsaida is on the northeast shore of the Sea of Galilee, northeast of Capernaum. Bethsaida was the hometown of Andrew, Peter, and Philip. And it was one of the towns that Jesus would later condemn for their unbelief. But what was the reason why Jesus sent them away ahead of him? Well, he wanted to spend some time alone, away from the crowds and his disciples, set apart from everyone else to pray. He wanted time to pray. In this, he reveals to us that Jesus is set apart as the 100% perfect man in communion with God. As a man, he is the example of someone who takes the time to pray and commune with his Father. This is an example that every Christian ought to emulate in our lives. That is, spending time alone in our prayer closet with our Father. But that is not all that is going on in this text. There is something greater going on here. Notice, he goes up on the mountain to pray. The mountain is where God meets and speaks with his people throughout the scriptures, specifically Mount Sinai. Other places would include the wilderness and the Garden of Eden, where God spoke with his people. And we only find three accounts in Mark where Jesus goes away to pray. See, Mark's emphasis in his letter is the new exodus. And Jesus is the new and greater Moses. All three accounts, when Jesus goes away to pray, occur at significant points in his ministry and revelation. The first time he goes away to a desolate place or a wilderness 
to pray at the beginning of his ministry while he began preaching in Galilee, drawing great crowds. The second time he goes away to pray is here, up on the mountain, when he is about to manifest his glory before his disciples. And the third time he goes away to pray, he goes to a garden, that is the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross. So what we see here is the great reversal of the old order of things. We see the great reversal of Israel's history, specifically the story of Exodus, but beginning with Adam's fall. Jesus communes with God in all of the places that Israel or the people of God didn't. It began in the Garden of Eden where Adam didn't commune with God because he disobeyed. Then Israel is led to a mountain where Moses met with God. But Israel was too busy making idols. So they didn't commune with God. And finally, they end up in the wilderness where they didn't commune with God. But rather complained and continued to disobey. But Jesus communed with God in prayer. In the wilderness, now he communes with God in prayer on a mountain. And he will end up communing with God, his father, in a garden, the garden of Gethsemane. The night before he is betrayed and killed. You see, the people of God went from the garden to the mountain to the wilderness. Jesus, in the letter of Mark, goes from the wilderness to the mountain to the garden. So here is a great reversal of Israel's history or the story of the new exodus, heading back toward the garden as Jesus is set apart as the true Israel, the second Adam who will live a perfect life on behalf of the true Israel, the church, his bride. But not only that, he is also set apart as Lord. It says, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully. They probably would have been rowing the boat at this point, For the wind was against them. Remember the Sea of Galilee was about 680 feet below sea level. So it was known to suffer from terrible windstorms. Maybe similar to the one we had last night. We know this from chapter 4 when Jesus calmed the storm on the sea. So to put it simply, the disciples found themselves in difficulty once again. Uh, They were not in as much danger as before, uh, but they weren't making much progress in getting to the other side of the sea. And this time, Jesus was not on the boat with them. He was alone on the land and saw them after he finished praying. And about the fourth watch of the night, that is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He was walking On the sea. Now, this wasn't an optical illusion. This wasn't a mistake because it was dark out. He wasn't walking on a sandbar, as 
some have suggested. If it was a sandbar, then a group of fishermen who knew the Sea of Galilee well would have said he was walking on a sandbar. But no, he was walking on the sea, on top of the water, without sinking. He was revealing something to them. He was manifesting God before their eyes as he meant to pass by them. Now, this isn't speaking of his intent to pass by them. Rather, this is coming from the disciples' point of view, most likely from Peter's account of what happened. What Peter revealed to to Mark to reveal to us is what Jesus meant to reveal to his disciples. And and this was an echo of a, a familiar story from old. It was to echo and remind us of the story of when Moses asked the Lord to see his glory. And the Lord responded, you cannot see my face and live. Rather, he put him in the cleft of the rock while he passed by. The glory of the Lord through Jesus meant to pass by them. As he passed by Moses so long ago. And a similar story occurred in 1 Kings 19, when the Lord spoke to Elijah after he fled Jezebel to encourage him in his faith. And the Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Rather, it said, and behold, the Lord passed by. And later spoke to Elijah in a low whisper. So what was it that they saw? Almost passed by them. In the Old Testament, when God made himself visible, as he has done to Moses, it was called a theophany, a vision of the Lord God himself. This is what the disciples saw on the boat that night. Again, this wasn't a David Blaine doing a magic trick. This was God. It was a visible manifestation of God through the flesh of Jesus Christ. Jesus made himself a theophany to show them who he is and was. He he didn't mean to pass by them uh, as to get ahead of them in order to get to Bethsaida before them. He, He wasn't in a race to Bethsaida. He meant to pass by them So they could see him. And he would reveal himself to them. And this revelation was as clear as day. But what was their response? It says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Now, ghost here is is not speaking of a ghost hunter's ghost, right? They they weren't going to call the Ghostbusters, right? This is not what we see uh, on TV as described as ghosts. They didn't think that Jesus died when he was praying and now, ooh, they see his ghost, right? Ghost for them, for ancient Israel, would have been considered a demon, 
Demons were believed to stir up the storms on the seas. This is what they thought they saw. And they would have been terrified if they saw him walking toward them on shallow water or on a sandbar. They were terrified because this mysterious figure was walking on water, making more progress toward them in the midst of a windstorm than they did in their rowboat. You see here, this was a demonstration of the power of God over the weakness of men. Yet secondly, it also reveals the character of God as He is the refuge for sinners. It says this, but immediately He spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Take heart, it is I. Now this is important. In the original language, the construction of the way he says, it is I, is the same as saying, I am. Jesus says, I am, through the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And the most obvious revelation is when he said before, Abraham was, I am. So not only did Jesus pass by them as the Lord passed by Moses and Elijah, but he also reveals who he is through how he introduces himself. He reveals his name. It is the same way that the Lord revealed his name to Moses in the burning bush after Moses asked, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And the Lord said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Jesus was saying, Take heart. Why? Why would we? We're in trouble. Why would we take heart in you? You're just a a man. Well, he says, it is I, or better, I am. I am the Lord God. I am the God of Israel. I am your Lord who takes care of you. And these words were not meant to bring more terror to the disciples when he says it is I it was meant to cast out fear and the terror that they were feeling remember he came to them in the midst of their difficulty he revealed not only that he is God but also the character and nature of God as one who will not leave us Abandoned. He is our only refuge in the midst of uncontrollable difficulties. He came to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is the way God speaks to his people. And God speaks to his people 
in order to comfort them. This is why we should not fear. This is the foundation and the reason why we should not fear. We do not fear because Jesus is the I am. Not because we have all things figured out. Not because we count the odds and say, what are the chances of this or that happening to me? That is not the foundation of our trust. Some people act like they have no fear because they simply don't care. They're careless. It is out of carelessness, not faith and trust in Jesus Christ and who He is. There's a big difference there between carelessness and faith in Jesus Christ. But our only foundation of comfort and our only refuge is the Lord Jesus and the fact that He is the I Am. God has taken on flesh so that we would not fear. So that we would not fear in a despairing manner. And Jesus demonstrated who He is as the Lord God when He walked on water and came to them with sweet words of mercy. It is I. Do not be afraid. But again, what was their response? And He got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. Uh, We normally think of uh, Jesus calming a storm on the sea only that one time. But he actually calms a storm twice. This is the second time he calms a storm on the sea. But this time he is in the midst of it, walking through it and not being phased by it. And, And what was their reaction after he told them not to be afraid and got into the boat It says, and they were utterly astounded. Uh, Not because they understood what he was revealing. Uh, At this point, they should have been astounded because of all of the Old Testament passages. That should have been going through their minds. They should have been thinking of Job 9. When he says this, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Behold... He passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. In Psalm 77 that we read earlier, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. They were utterly astounded But not because they understood what he was revealing to them. Not because they were moved to praise and to worship him. But because they didn't understand. They just received special revelation and they didn't get it. It says, for they did not understand about the loaves. So they backtracked here. They were thinking about the loaves. And the feeding of the 5,000. 
the one miracle that he did before their eyes, which should have sent them obvious hints, they didn't get. They didn't get it when he miraculously created bread out of nothing to feed the 5,000 in a desolate place or wilderness like God fed Israel bread from heaven in the wilderness. They didn't understand what he was revealing when he multiplied loaves at his command. And that wasn't the only time he revealed himself to his disciples, and yet they still didn't understand. He calmed the storm. He fed the 5,000. He just walked on water. And he said to them, it is I, I am. Any Greek-speaking or Hebrew-speaking Jew at that time would have understood those words. You would have to ask, what more would you want him to do for you to understand? That is why it is ridiculous to claim that Jesus never said he was God. Because he did. Both in his works and in his words. Yet many out there claim he didn't. They don't understand. And understanding in this text is not just about intellect. It is not just about knowledge and having all the right Bible verses to prove it. Understanding here is speaking of a spiritual exercise. They didn't understand because their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened by sin. You see, sin blinds us from the revelation of Jesus. Sin hardens our understanding and our knowledge of God. And winning a debate about who Jesus is, is not going to convert anyone in itself without the Spirit of God. You see, I was put here not to debate it. It's clear, I'm here to preach it and proclaim it. Because there is a level of unbelief in all of us. In all believers. We have special revelation about our Lord. And how often we don't get it. How often have I heard after a sermon. Not not my sermon. I'm not trying to boast about it at all. But after a a sermon that was expounding, unfolding and revealing who Jesus is from all of scripture. Uh, How how often have I heard a person complain that they weren't fed by that sermon? They are implying that knowing Jesus and who He is isn't enough. They are saying they need something to take home with them. They want all of their problems fixed in their lives and want to know what to do practically and how to do it themselves. They want a DIY version of the gospel, a do-it-yourself version of the gospel. They want all of their questions answered. They believe the gospel is only good news When it solves all of our problems, our troubles, and our difficulties. But notice how their eyes 
and focus have been drawn away from the one who's their only refuge to the work of their own hands. They're distracted by their own work and what they are to do. Similar to how Peter was so focused on his own troubles in Matthew's account that he walked out to Jesus and began to sink in the water. They are drawn away from the one who establishes the work of our hands. And when we're distracted, what happens? We begin to sink. The one we ought to be getting to know is this one here who reveals himself to his disciples. Because everything we do, all of our works must be wrapped up, caught up, and devoured up by who Jesus is as he is to be the object of our faith and trust. And not caring to know Christ at the end of the day comes from unbelief. It is a sign of idolatry. Because the gospel and sermons are not here to fix all of our problems right here and right now. They're not meant to give you all of the practical answers to your problems. If it were, you would be missing the tree for the forest. Notice how I flipped that. You would be missing the tree. For the forest. Because a lot of our problems are often driven by fear. Not a godly fear or a fear that comes from wisdom, but a despairing fear. And if you don't know or don't care to know this man who walked on water, this man that we ought to be terrified of, if we don't care to know this man and how he has manifested himself in order to ground us in our faith, and to comfort us in our troubles, it is unbelief. And we should despair. Because Jesus was revealing that He is the only refuge for sinners in trouble. It's not as simple as practical answers or solutions to your problems. It's not just about a, step, a list of what you need to do tomorrow to fix your problems. It is really about a refuge. Who we go to when we are surrounded by trouble and death. Because thirdly, Jesus didn't come to solve all of the disciples' problems at that very moment. He had told them to go to Bethsaida, and yet, where did they land? He he could have walked over, right, and calmed the sea earlier so that they would get to Bethsaida, right? But no. When they had crossed over, they came to to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. Instead, of landing on the northeast shore, they ended up on the southwest 
shore near where they started. And it was a familiar place because he healed in this area before. And so everyone began to come out to him. Wherever he was going to lead them, the key thing to know is that he was with his disciples. And he would be with his disciples until they complete their work here on earth. And though the disciples were hardened, and though Jesus knew that when they got out of the boat, the people who immediately recognized him and ran out about the whole region to come to him, he knew that many of them would be hardened against the truth of who he is. Thirdly, what happened? What did he do? What happened when they began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he was? And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Just like the woman who suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years touched his garment and she was healed. Here the fringe of the garment is speaking of the tassel that all Jewish men wore and it was the easiest part of his clothing to grab. And as many as touched it, were made well. As the glory of the Lord that was just manifested to the disciples walked through this great crowd of people, our great God responds to the needs of His people by manifesting His holy healing power even when there is unbelief. Even in the midst of unbelief, this great God who just demonstrated how He is Lord over all creation has condescended to meet with His people. And He cares for all people made in His image. He is patient with us all. He shows common grace to the unbeliever He shows kindness so that the unbeliever would turn and repent. He grants us saving grace and walks to us and walks with us on this long journey home to be with Him. And along the way, He puts up with all of our frailties. He forgives us, restores us, and He is destined to make us whole again. He is working all that out as we speak. So what this text shows us is that He has not left us without hope. He has not left us to ourselves. What this text is meaning to tell us is just that just as He didn't leave these hardened sinners to himself to themselves, He would slowly soften their hearts to help them believe more and more. He will not leave us in our troubles. But He will come to us as He walked over to these disciples in their trouble. Sometimes to take us another way. Judging by the character of God, the disciples should have known that Jesus wouldn't have abandoned them. And this is our comfort, that Jesus would never abandon us. In fact, He is our only refuge, and He will always respond to our needs, even if it takes time.
and He will lead us through our lives. He will be with us until our work is complete. Just as He was doing for the disciples here. So beloved, let us trust in who He has proven Himself to be. Let us trust in the fact that He is the great I am. Amen.